Business is simple. It's just not easy. We focus on three things to help you run and grow your business more easily. Talent, sales, and how to scale. This is the Talent, Sales, and Scale Show. Hey everyone, Brian Whittington with this episode of the Talent, Sales, and Scale Show. Today we have a really cool topic. It might be a little bit heady, but don't drop out because it's not heady. It is real and it dives right into how do we as salespeople, how do we as leaders of our salespeople get our people to get out of their own head and do an effective job. So we're going to be talking to Taryn Hughes today, who is extremely English, hanging out in Spain. I don't know how that happens. And we're going to be talking about how in the world do we bring consciousness to how we sell. So welcome, Taryn. Hey, guys. Thank you very much for having me, Brian. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm glad to have you. So Taryn and I have had a, a couple of conversations and uh, he's hanging out on Clubhouse all the time. So check him out there. Uh, we'll get a, a little bit more of, uh, you know, how to reach him and, and how to participate with what he's doing here. But let's start off with this question, Taryn. Why in the world should we listen to you about consciousness and how we bring that to how we sell? Wow, that's a great question. Bringing consciousness into the sales environment goes, it starts a step, it steps a step before, you know, it's about being self-aware. You know, this whole idea of consciousness is about self-awareness. And then from self-awareness, we can, we can become more effective in what we seek to accomplish. And why does, why does consciousness and conscious awareness in the sale make a difference? Because I think we go from buyer and seller roles to two people communing, working together to kind of overcome a challenge or an obstacle that brings about a valuable outcome, more than just chasing a sale for the sake of the number or the associated money. I think we've lost sight of why we are sales professionals. And I think to, in, in part that's to blame corporate America and the greed that comes from growth and, 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 and development of their, their businesses. And if we go back to basics, we're selling, we're solving a problem for our clients. You know, it's all about being in service. And we can only really do that when we go within first and start to become aware of ourselves and how we come to that situation. Okay, so let's unpack that a little bit. Now you talk about self-awareness. Seems a little bit, we can take this all different ways and, and people, we can actually assess for that. So one of the assessment tools that we use, you can, uh, you can assess for self-awareness. So describe that a little bit and why should I care about self, self-awareness? Yeah. I mean, how do we miss that? Uh, for me, what's become apparent is that people have different modalities of operation. They can predominantly perceive this moment that's happening through a filter of the past because of their past experiences, especially in the context of selling, right? So the way that you interact with clients, whether that's outbound calling, presenting, what have you, we can quite commonly overlay a past experience as a filter in the present moment. That means that we're not dealing in the present moment. We're not dealing with what's happening. We are reliving an emotional value, an emotional experience that, that impacts the way that we respond, impacts the way that we approach what's in front of us. And it, it determines the results that we get because if our past experiences typically were negative or have some negative aspect or connotation to them it will it will impact the way that we respond to that moment and that means that we could have a, 
a negative response in terms of our posturing, our language, our communication style. Maybe we could go into a self-pity mode where we start thinking I'm being rejected because this sounds like it's going down the same path as before. And then we seek to validate that by looking for validation, looking for ways to uh, confirm that belief. So if we're not living in the past, then we're either projecting in the future and looking for how things could be better than this current moment. And I guess the message really here is this conscious awareness is about inviting people to be present in this moment, because this is the only real moment there is. And the only moment that we can be effective in what we do is this present moment. So take, for example, this conversation that you and I are having. What you're doing is you're listening. You're listening intently to what's being said. I'm focusing my entire attention here to have this conversation with you. I'm not considering something that's going on another point in time. I'm not trying to allow past experiences of being in a similar situation cloud the way that this moment unfolds. It's about occupying with my attention this moment fully. And then when it's your turn, when you're speaking, it's my turn to listen intently and fiercely because that's where my power is in this moment. That was a lot. I love that. All right. So it was. It's how it comes out, I'm afraid. No, I it's love not, it. It's not, it's not a prepared speech. I, don't, I, I, I can't work in that way. It's what, it's what comes out. Which is brilliant. So there is so much here, gang. I hope that you pick this up. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit a couple of key areas. Now, perceptions are the filters from our past experiences. Now, the challenge with those past experiences, you nailed it. Now, I want to go down a, a layer or two more deeply on this. We look at past experiences, but for whatever reason, now you didn't say this, I'm inferring here, so this is a question. We tend to dwell on those past experiences and dwell on the negative as opposed to the positive. We dwell on the negatives as opposed to the wins, and then we're allowing that negative, those negative experiences to cloud our current experiences. Is that really what you're telling us? Absolutely, because you don't I hate most that. of the time. You don't know you're having them though. You don't even know there's a filter affecting the way that you see things. If we look at the evolutionary biology of our psyche, our, our, our mind, our reptilian brain is evolved to collect information that is useful for the survival of the organism, such that you have the, the two parts of the mind, the subconscious and the conscious, what we call executive consciousness, this thin veil of our awaking awareness. Yeah, we think we're driving the ship with this executive consciousness, but in fact, the ship is driven at the subconscious level, which is about 95% of our cognitive function. Now in that old ancient part of the brain, that reptilian brain, this is where we store our emotional lives and this is where we store our long-term memories. And a, sub, a branch of our long-term memory is what we call the implicit memory, yeah? And a part of that is called the procedural memory. They're branches off that long term. Procedural memory is incredibly, incredibly important for learning repetitive uh, learning skills that are used daily, such as getting dressed, doing your shoelaces, driving a car. Once we've learned that from a conscious executive level, it drops into the subconscious level such that we don't think about what we're doing. It just happens automatically, right? So it overlays that experience that you've had as a, a framework to operate in this moment. But the problem is, 
our emotions are stored in the same way. So if we have a, a, an impactive moment in our past, an event that has an emotional value, a strong emotional value, and typically a negative one, it's encoded in that part of the memory. So what happens is over time, the, the conscious memory, that executive conscious memory of that event fades, but the mechanism for which the body remembers it and the mind remembers it remains such that the pattern recognition part of us, when faced with a similar situation, your body's always, your mind's always looking to prepare you for this moment. So it goes through the metadata of the past and says, ah, this is the same situation as that happened before. We will provide you with the same emotional response as preparation. So you relive the emotional experience in this present moment. So it's overlaying it. Uh, That's fascinating. Then what we experienced in the past at a subconscious level, then what, if I'm picking up what you're saying here, what we've lived in the past is then yes. into a subconscious. So we know how to, how to adapt to it. We don't have to think about it. We're on autopilot. Oh, this was bad before. Yeah. So be be cautious, be prepared. And so then we have those negative feelings as we're going into this because we're reliving that. And then even if it's a great experience, we have this, and I don't know if this is the right language, but that cognitive bias of that filter that we're using to go, oh, this is bad. Well, I just said something rad, bad. You should have seen Terrence's face here. Go ahead. No, it's it's, it's it's even funnier than that because it's what we've learned. There's a, I think Easterbrook did this study in the 60s about cue utilization. Um, uh, and essentially, negative experiences over time become more pronounced. Yeah, that, that, that emotional reliving becomes more pronounced. And the good ones, those good experiences, they fade. So we evolutionary wired to enhance the fear. And I'll give you an example, right? Imagine um, in our evolutionary past, we're walking, there's two of us walking along in, in the forest and uh, there's bushes all around us and we hear a rustling and a noise and it starts to move and we look at each other and we look at the noise and out of the bushes, a giant bear jumps out, grabs you, drags you off and eats you. That's going to be kind of traumatic for me. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to get past that, yeah? But every time I walk down a path and I hear bushes move, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to have an emotional reliving of that experience, yeah? Put it this way. You can lie in your bed at night fully safe and secure. The doors are locked. Everything's great. And yet you can start having thoughts that make you physically react to those thoughts in a negative way. You hear a noise outside, you suddenly get scared. You can go into that fear modality because your subconscious mind doesn't know the difference between a thought and reality. There's the past experience it has to draw upon to say, what could that noise be? Well, all I have as my experience past is bear out the woods. It must be a bear and prepare you for the adrenaline to fight or fly. That's the limbic system working, yeah? That's that evolutionary part to keep us alive. Now, what I'm inviting you to do is to be present in that moment such that you do not relive that emotional experience, that you may remain centered. So you have to be aware that those things are running in the background, which is why we have to go inside and explore why we think the things that we do that shape the thoughts that we have, that give us the experiences reflected back to us in the world. Because what we encounter outside of us 
is a reflection of what we think and feel inside of us. So, and then, if we can, if we're fearful, because what I'm finding as I'm getting a little bit older here, is the times that I make the biggest mistakes are whenever I'm, I'm making decisions from a fear base. That's usually whenever I screw something up. And is so I don't know if that ties to that enhanced fear because I've made this bad decision in the past or I've, well, you can't even call it a bad decision, right? It's a learning lesson. So I've well, messed up in the past. Yeah. Yeah. So I've messed up in the past, learned from it. So if I've learned from it, if it was a good idea, just poorly executed, then I should be able to overcome it or be able to adapt to make it right if I'm not basing everything on fear. And so talk to me a little bit about what you said. You said that's put in context to it. Unpack that a little bit, please. Well, you said it's a learning experience and not a mistake. You have to have perspective and context to know that it's not, that if you, if you said to me, you've got two people you can hire, one guy's fallen over 10 times and got up 11, and one guy's never fallen over in terms of this, who do you pick? Not the guy that's never fallen over because he's going to fall over on my dime. Right. So it's never really failure if you're learning from it. You make the same mistake three times, four times, five times. That's a habit. That's quite different. Right. But to your point, if you're making a mistake, that's not necessarily coming from fear. But if you're making the same, if, let's, not, let's not use language like mistake. And let's say if you're having the same outcomes, that's a better way of framing it, right? If you're experiencing the same set of outcomes over and over again in any strata of your life or dimension of your life, there is a huge opportunity for you to go inside and understand what's going on there. Yeah? And bringing awareness to the fact that there's this repetitious happening, occurring, changes a little window of perception inside you so that when that situation or opportunity arises again, you're now furnished with a choice to act consciously. Okay, I'm aware of this situation repeating itself. How do I want to respond to this moment? I think we've got to try and look at it as how you choose to respond to the moment unfolding in front of you, rather how do I naturally or automatically react to it? Yeah, we react unconsciously, we respond consciously. So say that again, we react unconsciously because we naturally our, our subconscious is giving us survival mechanisms what we're trying to do is move away from living um in a duality state where there's this subconscious behavior running and then pushing its way up to our executive consciousness that that waking part of us and we want to op operate from a clear sense of i'm coming from pure creation i'm coming from this pure understanding of what's happening in this moment and not being judged, filtered, or persuaded by events of the past. Yeah. Okay. So you, you unfortunately, uh, your microphone cut, out. cut out right there. No, no worries. Say it again. So you react. If we react to something, it's typically because we're reacting unconsciously. It's a reflex action. Okay. And what do we do intentionally? When we respond to something, we are allowing the moment to be what it is. And we're choosing okay. how we reply to that. So I'll give you a great example. Please. Someone comes up to you in the street and gets in your face for whatever reason, mistaken identity. 
the reaction <laughs> is the reaction is our evolutionary runaway or square up to fight. That's how we are. We're like, what are you doing? I'm threatened. I'm going to react or I'm going to run away. That's a flight or fight. Yeah. Responding is just to stand there and subject to you know, putting yourself in immediate harm's way, but to not react, not validate that other person's aggression or response uh, action towards you by providing a comprehensive sympathetic response so if i give you stress you give me stress back it creates that relationship doesn't it it's like you're behaving one way this is how i behave in response to that that you're expecting the fight ensues whereas if i just stay stay calm and centered and i let you have that expression and i say you know what's wrong or step back consciously i'm not buying into your delu delusional drama i'm remaining calm and i'm responding to it rather than reacting to it yeah it's pr pr not a great analogy but it's well actually it is because if you think about it we get to choose so let's take this in a couple of different ways one leadership let's take let's couch this in leadership i can I can intentionally choose how I'm gonna to react to an employee, a direct report, or the way I say it is a direct support. I can choose how I respond to that person. I can choose to give them the benefit of the doubt. I can choose to think the best of that person, think that this is a learning opportunity, or I can get pissed and say, you screwed up and now I'm gonna fire you without knowing the full understanding. It's an intentional reaction, or in a selling position, Whenever I'm doing cold outreach, demand generation, and somebody's rude to me, all right, well, I can either dwell on that, go take a break, grab another cup of tea or coffee, and dwell on that, and woe is me, or I can say, ah, you know what, son of a gun, that guy was probably having a really bad day, or she really, really must be, be hurting right now to react that way. I'll call her back in a couple of days. She won't remember me. It, it, it's, all, it's all how we choose, so really... Let's go a deeper level of that. I get to choose how I feel. You do, but let, let me just get the you touched upon something that's really interesting, right? So you use this instance where you've got cold outreach, right? So there's two dimensions in play here. You've got the, I'm looking for the outcome I'm expecting because I have this fundamental belief that everybody's going to reject me on the phone because that's what happened last week. That's what tends to happen when I make out cold outreach. I get rejected. No one wants to listen to me. So now subconsciously I'm looking for those things to validate that prejudgment. Yeah. Because that's what we do. Right. Is it, is it not mistake? Am I not mistaken that we look for that validation to make sure that we're sane? We're right. It's an egoic desire never to be wrong. Yeah. Yeah, or, or that's me being a go to be right. But however you want to interpret it, the point is we look to validate our prevailing thoughts about something because we we egoically don't like to be wrong. We want to prove ourselves to be right. But the other side of what you were saying, which was sort of really interesting, was you know that choosing how I respond. Well, that's I often hear people saying that, but you've got to go one step further and say, you know why it doesn't matter that they're having a bad day. It's because you are not what you do. And I think a lot of salespeople, and I'm sure you've seen this when you're doing Sandler, is they conflate their identity with their occupation. Yes. Their identity as a, a who I am, the big I am, I am a person, I am this being, 
I am not what I do. And therefore, if I conflate what I do with who I am to derive my sense of self-worth, when you reject me as a, at the level of what I do, I take it here at the level of who I am, and that hurts. Yes. But if I take it at the level of what I do, it just washes over me. It, it, listen, it's a bad day for you. You had an argument with your partner. You crashed your car, spilled coffee. <laughs> I don't know anything happened. It's not my fault. I know that I'm bringing to the table value, so I can be okay that this is a bad time. I will call you back because you won't remember. 100% right. But salespeople don't do that because they are vested in their identity of what they do. Correct. So um, we have Sherry who showed up. So Sherry, what we're doing right now is uh, Taryn and I are having a conversation on bringing consciousness to how we sell, which is also relating to how we lead, how we do some other things. So we're um, not through Clubhouse, but on another channel, we're recording this. So James, you, you want to edit this part out. But just to bring you up to date here, Sherry, on what we're doing here in the discussion. And then afterwards, we're going to open this up to others who might join the room to ask specific questions. Or you can chat us through uh, LinkedIn. If you look, up, look us up on LinkedIn, you can chat questions and we can bring that up. So just to bring you up to speed, welcome, Sherry. And then let's go back to this. So Taryn, um, based upon that, if we have a choice of how we're going to feel, why do you believe, or what's your sense, if we get to choose how we feel, why do we choose this life of misery then? I mean, that's really it. If we're dwelling on this negativity, um, okay, we can blame our, as you were saying it, our reptilial brain. We can blame it on circumstances, but that really puts me in a victim mentality. And if I'm the victim, I can't fix it. Your point of, if I have a miserable night and I wake up just feeling the same misery and I spill my morning uh, cup of whatever, right, my morning drink of choice, I'm like, ah, and I get angry and the rest of the day is ruined. Or if I have an awesome night the night prior and that same event happens, I'm like, ah, whatever, and I clean it up. Same event, but I've chosen how to react to that. So mm -hmm. if we had that choice... You've been studying this a long time. Why in the world do we not, why don't we choose joy and happiness then? This seems insane. Okay, there's a couple of ways I can respond to this. The first thing, this, the sort of short answer is that if you imagine we're like a radio receiver, it's easier to tune into the lower wave, lower wave vibrations. It's easier to go to the negative than it is to maintain a positive state of being. Yeah, high frequency, low frequency, that's, that's kind of the, the spectrum. The way that we can condition ourselves to be more resilient such that, well, shit happens, but it just doesn't affect me anymore, is to, to be mindful of our energetic state and to work on developing and enhancing that energetic state. And so for, define for, for energetic the, state if yeah, you wouldn't mind. Please. Yeah, for sure. Our energetic we were we were bioelectrical beings you know we have this this energy around us and we have this emotional life this physical life and this mental life and, and we we have a, a, an inner an inner condition a way that we feel inside yeah that's affected by the way that we think the way that we feel yeah and that in turn affects the way that we perceive the world at large 
that energetic state fluctuates day to day, moment by moment, depending on how we react to the world. Because most people do that, they react to the world, rather than condition themselves to be kind of like protecting yourself, insulating yourself from the ripples and road bumps in, in the street ahead. And the way that we can do that is by we can, we can pay attention to growing that sense of well-being through certain practices. So science has started to catch up on what mystics have been saying for millennia, that meditation is a very, very good way of calming and stabilizing the mind. And if you want to consider that meditation puts you on this level here, yeah, you, you, you kind of hold that level really well. But what I want to do is elevate. I want you to is imagine yourself not just standing at ground level and seeing how far you can see. I want to put you at the top of the mountain because at the top of the mountain, you see things far more clearly and you have greater perspective. So what looks like your entire world is a tiny patch of trees. And on the top of the mountain, you see that the, the, the promised land is in front of you. Right. So when we elevate our state, we, we are able to become more resilient because we realize in the grand scheme of things, these little things don't really impact upon us that, that significantly. Yeah? And how do we get there? We, we use um, the neurochemicals that evolution has afforded us by accessing our serotonin, our dopamine, our BDNF, oxytocin, endorphins. All these things can be triggered through things like vigorous exercise, just 20 minutes a day cardiovascular exercise can trigger that endorphin, that oxytocin, that, uh, those neurochemical production. The more you do it, and science, you know, I talk about this in the book, if you practice this consistently for 30 days, the, your sense of well-being increases, your sense of ability to, to deal with things increases, and things just don't bother you so deeply. And it need not just be exercise, dance and music these things are what we call state raisers everybody has that one tune that when they hear they can't help but yeah i like that and you start moving to it i start my day with exercise but i used to start my day with dance and music in the morning before every one of my workshops and some of the workshops with people i get them dancing I get them energized. And if you commonly see that phenomenon in the, in the likes of the Tony Robbins and other self-help guru type environments where the power of that crowd elevates people. Now, the problem is when you come out of those things, you could crash because you've, you've been artificially raised. What I promote is the practice of maintaining your own energy, maintaining your own state, understanding that what's happening to you outside need not take your well-being away. You can insulate yourself to it. So, okay, let's take it out of the, because uh, I can guarantee you a lot of people are like, Doris is a bunch of mumbo jumbo. Can right? we apply that to the real world, right? Well, not, so I'd, I'll go application a second, but I want to get away from this as mumbo jumbo, because me 10 years ago, I'd be like, ah, this is a bunch of mumbo jumbo. Or if we have our own, um, you know, religious beliefs that we put onto this, that we don't want to do meditation because we look at it something else. Unpack that a little bit, because you're not talking about, um, you know, going into a trance or meditation uh, from a religious standpoint, yeah. unpack that a little bit to say, hey, listen, just hear me out on this. Stop your unconscious bias here. Hear me out on this. Unpack, what do you mean by meditation? Right. Most people live in their head, their, their neck up, right? They have yep. a constant dialogue going on in their head. And if they're not 
speaking normally, there's that continuous narration. Most people narrate their entire life, yeah? They never create a space between the words. What I encourage people to do is start allowing space to arise, that conscious, deep, rich presence, which is found when we stop the continuous stream of undesired thought. Because it's, you know, in the words of Eckhart Tolle, it's probably closer to the truth to say that people have thoughts happen to them than they are actually thinking. Yeah, people have that again? People have thoughts that happen to them. Most people don't choose the thoughts they're having. They just have thoughts. Yeah. And what I'm saying is we can create space between those thoughts and elongate that space. Because what happens when we break the continuous narrative is we allow for different awarenesses to arise in that, in that space. So if you're constantly talking, you can't hear what you're actually saying to yourself at a deeper level. There, if you remember, all of our deep conscious thought, uh, subconscious thought, 95% of that cognitive process is subconscious and we're drowning it out with the chatter at the, the mind level, yeah? So when we stop that, this rises up and we can become aware of some of the deeper rooted beliefs and thought patterns that we have that actually create the structural reality of our world. Because what we think left over time becomes what we believe and what we believe often frames what is possible. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's really rather curious. Um, so what you're suggesting here is resilience is, and we'll have to go back to that because I interrupted you whenever you were talking about an ener energetic state. But we can, so if I'm understanding what you're saying here, uh, Taryn, is we can have greater resilience if we're intentional about creating energetic states that come from meditation or music or dance or whatever it is that energizes us. For some people, it might be doing stuff like this. Other people, it might be getting alone, taking a walk, whatever it is for that person. Is that, is that right? Each person has a different way of getting that energetic state? Yes or no. It, it, it needs to elevate you. And what typically, what typically happens is when you're completely absorbed in something, you become unaware of the self. You're just in the moment with what you're doing. If you're yeah, killing yourself flow, on the right? treadmill, flow. When you're completely in flow, if you're on the treadmill, you're running, whatever it is, you're not thinking about yourself. All your attention is focused on, on how you feel and what you're doing. And that creates space, that elevates, and that triggers that neurochemical production. Yeah. Okay. The whole meditation thing is a step to the side. That helps you level off. The exercise, dance, etc., raises you up. So what I'm trying to make the distinction is that if you're already, if you're constantly at a five, meditation will reinforce you being at five. I want you to get to ten. Ten will mean that you know you're you just don't notice someone's just bumped into you. It's everything is fine. The the level at which you operate becomes higher, and that your ability to manage other what you might otherwise see as stressful circumstances far more easily. And it's what we call high-performing people, yeah? High-performing people don't get ruffled by little rumples in the street. And the reason is because they perceive that the, their reality at a different level, a higher level, and they maintain their energetic state. I'll give you an example. Stress and strain. We all experience stress in the job of selling, right? But right. stress is really the misperception of strain. 
we have a set of resources like time, experience, competency, opportunity. And against that, we, we, we balance that with the challenge of what we've been tasked to do, which is a sales number and engage people. When we have equilibrium between the resources that we perceive to be needed and the, cha the, the challenge at hand, we get that equilibrium. And we are, we're doing the job. We feel like we're competent. We feel good about what we're doing. And we feel capable. The moment we lose equilibrium and we either perceive not enough opportunity, not enough time, we don't have the required skills, we go from strain to stress. Yeah, because we're balancing the strain, but we are misbalancing the stress. And that's when we go into a stressful state. So if we can elevate our sense of well-being, that we can manage all the moving parts, it's not that stress really goes away. It's if we don't see it as stress anymore. What well, you had... Oh, I'm sorry, go yeah. ahead and finish that thought. And, and the first thing I tell people is if you think meditation's hard, then don't meditate. But become meditative in what you do, mindful in the moment. So stop brushing your teeth. Everybody brushes their teeth at least twice a day, or at least we hope they would. <laughs> Just be mindful. Just the, the thought of the, the, the feeling of the brush, the taste of the toothpaste, no thought necessary. Just try and be aware of it for a few seconds at a time and create a space between what you're doing. Okay, but that's gonna leave us, like you said, at that five. If we're a five, that's gonna put us at a five. You also said that we can do these these things to energize nice. us, to get that energetic, to raise us up in that energetic state. But then if you do that, then you can have a fall off back down to the five. So how do we, how do we get to the point where we go from that five to the six, the six to the seven? Because my doubt, my guess is you're not going to go from a five to a 10. Well, it's like anything, anything worthwhile takes practice. What I talk Correct. about in the conscious sale is a practice. If you were expecting this to be done in a week or two weeks, then that's not going to work. It's like diets do not work. You have to have a healthy eating habit long term you have to have a healthy exercise regime long term you have to apply mindfulness practice long term but you get the same results of a long-term practice you get incremental improvements on your experience day by day so if you exercise frequently if you meditate if you meditate or bring mindfulness to your day frequently see the trouble we have with meditation in the traditional yogic sense of sitting there going on is that there's 24 hours in a day and most people will meditate for half an hour so what about the other 23 hours of the day right what i try and encourage you to do and i talk about this in the book is to bring those pauses to your day frequently and just intersperse everything you do with a, mo a mindful moment. So let's say before this call, I just sat down and I took three or four long, deep, mindful breaths just to create a space to, to partition what has just finished with what is to come. And then if you, once you start doing that, you allow the opportunity to bring intention to it. Because now I'm going to say, rather than relive patterns of the past, I'm going to set a new direction for my subconscious mind to aim for. So the state gives us the ability to perceive higher, better, further. Yeah, because we're limited by the sense of what we think is possible, right? Correct. I couldn't, I couldn't do that. It's, no, it's too difficult. Well, that's at this level of a five. If I can get you to 10 and then ask you to think about what's possible, you might dare to dream that little bit bigger, richer, further. Yeah, so if I constantly 
embody that state of being at a 10. And don't get hung up on the numbers, right? It's just about getting yourself out of your comfort zone, getting yourself working so that the body produces those chemicals that you feel. I like take cold showers every morning. You know, to, the willingness to be uncomfortable is growth. Yeah, the willingness to be uncomfortable in order to better yourself is growth. So doing those things grow your sense of what's possible. Oh, I could never run 5K. Start with half a K. And what is funny, right, is, um, and I'm jotting down the note, that's a great line, the willingness to be uncomfortable. Say that again. The willing to be uncomfortable is growth. Yeah, because that's where growth is. You don't get growth by being comfortable. You don't get fitter by not getting up early and going for a run, or you don't get healthier by eating a better diet. You, you have to change up what is comfortable for the uncomfortable, because that comfort is where you've decided your reality is, where your, the, the walls of your reality are. Okay, so let's, let's go to the naysayer. Um, hey, listen, <laughs> you can't, you cannot, be an NBA basketball player. You cannot be uh, a soccer superstar. You cannot be, uh, I guess in your world, a football superstar. You cannot, right? So that might be true today. However, if I choose the right habits, if I choose the right exercise, the right everything from where I am today to get there, that allow me to... to so right now, yeah. So I want to take off my Pollyanna glasses, right? Because I think that's what a lot of people do. They think, oh my gosh, if I just think it, it's going to mass, it's going to magically appear. No, that's not the case. If you re if you remove the negative thoughts, it can allow you to do the habits, be intentional to do those things. You start to think right, act right, feel right. You can work up to that. But to your point, it's not an overnight success. It's not magic. It's being intentional, taking every thought, making it captive to what you want it to be, and putting in the work to get where you want to go. Is that kind yeah. of what we're talking about here? It, it is. And I, I, I refer to it as congruence, right? Because we are creative beings. We create on three levels. We create on the level of thought. We create on the level, actually, four, if you include emotion. We have thoughts, emotions, words, and actions. And uh, when you align those creative elements together, we become quite powerful in, in terms of what we can produce. If you think about it, everything in the world that's man-made, human-made, started off as a thought. There is nothing, quite literally, that has been made that didn't start off as a thought. It got then expressed as words, and then it was put into actions in, in, in terms of production. So when we align our thoughts, words, and actions, we can certainly improve or increase our efficacy, you know, our agency to get stuff done. To your point about becoming a soccer star, well, no, there's always going to be elements of predisposition, physicality, etc. But it doesn't mean we can't make drastic improvement on where we are to where we want to go to. Yeah. So aligning our thoughts, words, and actions has a huge impact. And to the sales arena, because that's what we're really talking about. The salesperson in the sales meeting, when questioned by their manager, are you going to hit number? Yeah, I think I'm going to hit my number. Inside, they're going, oh, geez, I don't know how I'm going to hit my number. And that, that's an incongruence. We need to align our thoughts, words, and actions in order to bring about the outcomes that we want. Now, if I want to make a coffee, I think I want a coffee. I say I'm going to make a coffee. I go and make a coffee. It's instant because it's a tiny thing. You want a big set of results? You're going to have to invest that thought 
that, that energy, that process continuously over time to bring about that outcome because it takes longer to manifest. Now, so let's hit that example. Am I going to hit my number? My understanding, if I don't believe I'm going to hit my number, I'm right. Because at a subconscious level, I have to, for congruency's sake, so I'm sane, I'm going to do subconscious things. I'm overly busy. I misprioritize. I get sick. Crazy stuff can happen. I mean, our physical being, our physical body, to make sure that our mind is right, I'm accidentally going to hit, miss that number because I believe it to be so. No accident. Our subconscious works, right? Our, our, yeah. our subconscious is truly working against us if I understand yeah. this correct. Is that yeah, right? 100%. That's insane. That, like, I don't, like, to me, that's just insane. I don't want to believe that, but it, it, the more I see this, the more it evidence is to be true, and I hate that. But your subconscious mind doesn't know good versus bad. It doesn't know right or wrong. It just knows how to create, and it'll give you where you... I use the expression, where your mind go, where your thoughts go, your reality flows. What you think about, you will bring into reality. And if you think about negative stuff, that's what you're going to get as an experience. If you think about, I, I, I'm cautious about using good, bad, positive, negative, because polarities like that aren't very helpful. But if you set into motion a set of thoughts at an early age that will start to frame your sense of what is possible, that will become the bars of your reality. But you'll forget that they're there. So they're limiting beliefs playing out. So that negative mindset that you just described playing against us is really just what we've created as this is what is. This is this is how I see the world. Yeah. And that's how I want to frame it. But we're unconscious. Most of that happens at the age of sort of three, four, five years old when our when our psyche is forming and our personalities are developing and we're just absorbing everything. We're absorbing the the input we're getting from our parents and our significant peers. So if your parents have just sat, told you as a child all your life that you're no good and you're going to amount to nothing, kind of it's not surprising that you're going to get impacted by that and it's going to frame what you think is possible. Yeah. Yeah. Conversely, if you're positively primed as to see possibility and potentiality, then you're going to, you're going to be our glass half full rather than glass half empty. So let me throw this out there. I, I can't give credit to the study, but from what I understand, there was a study that people were interviewed to say whether they believed they had good luck or bad luck, which is a belief. They were then put into this uh, movie theater, and on the screen, a, a cartoon coin would be tossed up in the air, and they would have to choose whether or not it was heads or tails. And from my understanding of the, of the study, there was a st statistically insignificant difference between wins and losses of those that had good luck or bad luck, that believed themselves to have good luck or bad luck. But what was different was those who had believed themselves to have good luck dwelt on the wins, dwelt on how often they were right. Whereas those who believed themselves to have bad luck dwelt on how, how many times they were wrong. See, there it goes again. I'm so unlucky, and they dwelt on that. So I, I don't know if that's like uh, just made up, but it seems like that makes sense because I can't see 
lucky people going through life or successful people going through life having much of a difference because they're going to have good or bad, however you want to frame it, however you want to say it. Stuff happens. But my sense is everybody has equal amount of stuff happens, but how much weight I give to that stuff happening and how much I dwell on that stuff happening is really going to determine my thinking going forward or my thinking of what's happening today and how I deal with it. Is that kind of a right summary of that? Well, I'm guessing I no think, from that pause. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, listen, I, I'm not an expert. I, I mean, I, I'm fascinated by this topic and, you know, I'm open to be showing it's wrong, but the way I see it is if you choose to see one thing versus another, and there's very little in between the two, why wouldn't you choose to see it positively? And again, that comes back to what's conditioned you to always fall to the negative. But the reason why I choose to look for the positive or choose not to label, this is more important for me, not labeling something, because the act of labeling that event, whether it's lucky or unlucky, puts in motion that part of us that says I need to be right. So I'm going to look to validate it. So what happens when we stop labeling? Well, this is where it gets interesting because I, I, I come to frame what I describe as super potentiality. Yeah? This, this idea that in any given moment, there exists the possibility for an outcome that is beyond what is immediately observably possible, right? Oh, someone's just driven into my car. It's bad. Well, you don't know that's bad. You just know that that's happened. We've labeled it because we need to have a value-based system to create a sense of winning and losing because that's just how we are. But when we stop labeling it, we then don't act in accordance with that belief and that label and therefore allow for something else to arise as an outcome. What does that really look like? Well, in the sales situation, when you stop trying to say what something is, oh, I've got this client in front of me in the first 20 minutes, I think I'm going to decide whether we can buy or not. We're going to look to validate that hypothesis. If we think they're not, then we're going to look for ways to prove that. Whereas if we allow the, com the conversation to unfold naturally, it might be that that conversation leads in a different direction. And it might not be with this person, but they may refer you to somebody else. So by not choosing to reduce that moment to just one potential outcome, we allow the possibility of many outcomes to arise. Yeah, And I personally, personally experienced this. Yeah? Just refusing to label and see what happens. I've had everything from free ice cream given to me to people referring me to different customers, that become, different people that have become clients, even though the person I was speaking with didn't. Um, getting dates that I didn't, it's just incredible when we stop labeling, when we stop being egoic and saying, this is good, this is bad. I don't know if I mentioned that whole story about the car crash. Did I tell you about that? No, before you do that though, to, to kind of hit what you're saying here, then it's really, I just want to be curious. Please, that's what it's about. Be curious, open-minded and silent and see what comes from it. Respond to the moment, but be ever curious. So if I wanted to put really a quick, easy application to this, it's something happens to me. Well, that's curious. This is going to be interesting to how, uh, what the outcome is going to be of this. Or I'm curious, you know, as I'm on a sales call, I'm curious. I understand why I would do this, but I'm not 100% sure why you would. Let's, let's talk through this. Or me as a leader, I'm curious about this new venture or this new hire or this. If I open up 
the curiosity, that doesn't allow me to have those preconceived filters. And especially if I'm present in the moment, coming off of energetic, right, my, my energizing state, that's going to allow me to keep lifting up and up and up. And, and see bigger outcomes. Yes. And so it's no longer I can't, but hey, I'm curious. What would this look like and how might I get there? What if, yeah. Yeah, we play in the land of what if. And then I think the only other part to that to be safe, if you will, to save so we don't get hurt so badly that it's going to, you know. But then again, let, even thinking through this, as I was about to say this, Taryn, it's not going to kill you. It might hurt a lot, but unfortunately, it seems like life that hurts a lot is so valuable in the lessons learned. And it, it really gives you back to that resilience of, that didn't kill me. I'm here. I might not like where I am, but let's start going ahead. And, and that pain you speak of, yeah, that, that opens a dimension of awareness about who is feeling the pain is it my egoic sense of self that I have a vested interest in being seen in a particular way? We're not talking about physical pain, right? We're talking about these psychological, emotional pain. Yeah, precisely. Uh, and and um, what are you attached to that's causing so much pain? What outcome were you hoping for that didn't manifest that you're going to hold so much energy? Because it takes energy to feel pain. Now, a lot of people say, well, it makes us human. I said, well, yeah, it makes us human, but do you not want to suffer? Suffering has its place, actually, to teach us stuff. Um, but suffering unnecessarily doesn't serve you any problem. If you realize that the pain that you feel about this is because you're attached to it happening a particular way, if you're honest with yourself, you might realize that maybe there was something you had a hand in, or if it wasn't anything you did, then you just learn to accept it. But people struggle to accept things because um, it gets counter to their sense of am I winning or losing. Yeah, so in reality, <laughs> this is rather quite curious. Um, if I'm miserable, I'm likely miserable for two reasons. One, I'm dwelling on the negative from the past. Or two, I'm dwelling on the negative of present that I don't have what I want. And, and, and I don't believe in a future state that I can get it. So... Well, I it's, it's you're believing that the future state is better than the moment you're in. Right. So I'm not content. Okay. So I, so say that again. When we project that we're unhappy because we haven't got what we want, you know, that future state that we think we should be getting. Yeah. Kind of saying, I want to get there because this moment, this isn't as good as that future moment. I can't be happy now. I can only be happy if I have this, this, and this in place. Right. And that fulfillment comes from being happy now. And all the stuff we do in our job and our life, that's just the, the stuff we do. That's not where our happiness comes from. We can derive pleasure from it, but happiness in who we are, being, and the being is the operative word, can only be found in the moment you're in. And it's curious, right? The, yeah, that's... I had a thought there and it just completely went out of there, but um, that future state, it's, it's um, one might call it coveting, right? I covet what I don't have. So yeah. I selfishly look inwardly rather than outwardly. So one of the things that I've been 
teaching my kids, not that anyone cares about my six kids, but one thing that I've been teaching my kids is um, anytime that you focus on yourself, you're going to be miserable. You're going to be miserable about what you don't have or what you're not getting and life is unfair. Whereas if you're focusing on others and serving others, you get a sense of fulfillment and joy about helping others and from that, you're not, you're not dwelling on all the things that you don't have and you're feeling a sense of enjoyment from helping others to achieve more and by doing that, you know, go back to Zig Ziglar, but the more people you help, the more you get helped. It's kind of curious how that works. And, you know, that's what I'm pouring my life into our employees and our kids and everyone around me that I possibly can. But it's so easy to get stuck on what I don't have and being, uh, that's where I was going, Taryn, is the fact that the reality is I will never be joy-filled. I will never be happy if I'm not joy-filled in the present, if I'm not content with the present. Because even whenever I get that, I'll be happy when, I'll be happy when. When you get to there, it won't be enough. And you'll always want more, more, more. It's, a, it's like a leech. Never satisfied. Now apply that to the sales situation, Brian. What I tell you as a manager is, if you do well and you make your number every month, in the future, you will be successful. In the future, you will be Not now. But if you do this, 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 and this in the future, you'll be successful in this company. So your attainment of success in whatever that means to you is never going to be available to you because it's a future state and the future doesn't exist. And what I encourage for people to do is recognize that success is something that can only be experienced in the present moment. Yeah, because, you know, we could spend an hour talking about what happiness is to somebody, but in terms of that experience of success and being fulfilled, yeah, 100% agree with you that it comes from serving others. And that's why I say the primary focus in sales should be serving your client and all the other stuff that we might otherwise think is important, the commission, the contract, secondary to that fact. Yeah. Right. And ten, I mean, I always believe you should look in, focus on the self from a growth perspective, but not on the I haven't got and I need to be happy. But serving others definitely does that for me. But look at what you can do in this moment. Be successful in listening. Be successful in whatever you do. Put all your conscious attention and focus into what you're engaged with. That will imbue it with a quality that otherwise is not present in, in people's work. I had a mentor of mine, a guy by the name of Bruce Bickle, transform my life. And it's kind of curious. He said, never seek success because success is never, you'll never achieve it. Right. It's always fleeting. The only thing that success leads to is failure because somebody's going to be smarter, figure something out faster. You're going to get older, sick and you'll lose. So instead, look to be excellent. If you drive excellence in all that you do, being better today than you were yesterday, but being yeah. content with who you are today, knowing tomorrow you're going to get a little bit better or have another lesson learned or whatever. Right. But being content with today, filled with joy today always seeking excellence. And when you, when you fall, and you will, your degree of excellence is how quickly you get back up. Mm. Right? How quickly you bounce. Because we're all going to need to bounce. And what you're telling us then is our ability to bounce, our ability to recover, that resilience comes from being present, dwelling on, the, dwell, or dwelling on what, we've, we're, what we did well, and then helping others along the way. 
Well, you don't even need to dwell on anything because that dwelling is is a preoccupation. So just be mindful. I think I think you can be successful. I think you can be successful in what you do in the moment. But if in the in the context of your mentor, yeah, don't chase something that's futuristic and, and unattainable. Um, it, you know, when you play the piano, or if you play a sports, or if you're engaged in something, when you when you're in it and you're really loving what you do, you're not conscious of the fact that you're having fun. You're not conscious of the fact you, you, you're completely immersed. You're not aware of yourself. You recognize you had fun post-event. You go, oh, that was a great game. Not whilst you're chasing after the ball and you're thinking, oh, I'm so great. This is great. You, you're just there. You're in the moment. So when we separate our sense of who we are from what we engage with, that's where that deep satisfaction and fulfillment for me comes from. It's yeah. when we remove the sense of self from what we're doing. That's when we can, what I, I consider you getting in contact with source or you're, you're more in flow, whatever language you want to work with. I don't care if there's a spiritual or non-spiritual dimension to this. The result is what matters and being aligned gives you that sense of well-being. Yeah. Uh well, I'll tell you what, I could talk all day because there's there's topics of how do we motivate people? How do we help people to this? There, there's so much that we could do, go down here. And I really have enjoyed this conversation. But being cognizant of the time, let's do this. Let's wrap it down. So one thing that you've seen, whether from your life experience or others who you've helped in, along the way here, Taryn, that some biggest challenges to this, to this idea of resilience, uh, idea of being present, what are maybe some biggest challenges, mistakes that you've seen others make so we can avoid those? They don't trust that they can have the results that are available to everybody. They don't believe it. It's a self-worth issue. Uh, they don't believe that they're worthy. Interesting. So it really goes to that, not even level of confidence, it's level, level of worthiness. Self-worth, yeah. That's interesting. All right, love that. Whew, that's deep. All right. Uh, best business hack for us, you know, whether it's around talent, talent management, hiring kind of thing, sales development, uh, you know, driving revenue or scaling a business. One one thing that you'd like to share with people. I think I think for sales development, the sales engagement, set intention for everything you want to accomplish. Give your subconscious mind, give the universe, whatever you want to call it, something to aim for that breaks the pattern of your past experiences. So sit down, take three or four deep breaths, clear your mind, and then say, right, this is the outcome I want to experience, and try and emotionally experience it. Do it for 30 seconds every time you start something and get in the habit of setting that conscious intention, that visualization of the outcome, but try and embody the emotion. It's the emotional part that's the key. So almost, uh, I heard it... Um... Back, the book is called um, The New Psycho-Cybernetics. So it's that practice in the theater of your mind. So in that 30 mm -hmm. seconds, see yourself doing it perfectly, feeling yourself, feeling the way that you want, that joy filled in the moment, having fun in this thing, yeah. the way that you want to live out your life. Practice that in your mind until you feel it happening, see it happening, and then hit it. So is that uh, kind of what you're su su suggesting there? Yes, but imagine it happened. Not imagine you're doing it, imagine it's already done and let reality catch up. It's the embodiment of how you feel afterwards. You can do the whole vision. If you don't trust the process fully, 
then do the whole going through that experience. That's what uh, Felix Baumgartner did when he jumped out of the Red Bull capsule. He did that jump from the stratosphere a thousand times in his mind before he did the final jump, yeah? That yeah. reliving that experience, but connect with how you'll feel afterwards. What will it feel like to sit back and go, yeah, I feel great, I did that. That's what we're connecting, that emotion. Love it, okay. And then um, resources. How in the world can we figure out um, all of this stuff what what should we be reading podcasts we should be listening to guys that we be sh we should be checking out so we can be as mindful as you taryn oh uh, um listen everybody connects with a different message so there, there's a lot of the same story a same message but it's delivered differently for me from a self uh development perspective Eckhart Tolle was very instrumental in my sort of growth journey he, he's a sort of spiritual uh person and he wrote an amazing book called the power of now which is very famous um, from a from a business perspective, I think methodology applied with mindset. So things like Miller Hyman strategic selling, incredible books that give you structure to all this activity because you can have the best mindset, but you, you don't have the right approach, then you're gonna you're gonna not get the results you would like to have. So um, yeah, I mean there's 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 a number of books. I've spent a lot of, Simon Sinek, start with why, very instrumental in me, writing my own book as well. Great for leadership as well. Nice. Uh, future trends that you see coming down the pike. Um, you know, what are you watching? What are you, what are you anticipating um, that we need to prepare ourselves for? Um, I personally believe we're gonna go through a paradigm shift in society. We're gonna see huge amounts of, um, unemployment because the world is changing and automation is coming and i think it's how we can maintain a mindset that allows us to make that adjustment and then work out what we're going to do so it's about that conscious it's about the quality of your consciousness work the work thing is changing for everybody and i think in the next 10 years it's going to make the world's going to be a very different place and what's going to make it a utopian rather than dystopian outcome is the quality of our conscious awareness to what's happening in ourselves Interesting. And that that consciousness of that is how we're reacting to everything, correct? Responding versus reacting. Responding versus reacting. All right, Taryn, I love this. It was great. Who should reach out to you? How should they reach out to you? And why should they reach out to you? Um, I'm more than happy to connect with anybody in the sales, startup or business community on LinkedIn. And I'm frequently on Clubhouse. Connect with me, have a conversation with me. Um, yeah. That, that's it really. I'm, I'm always keen to have good conversation and dialogue. If I can be of service to your business, I work with sales teams to help them develop the sales practices and the mindsets consistent with world-class success. And I have a lot of fun doing it. So if that sounds like an approach you want to get involved with, or even just explore that conversation with me, I'd be more than happy to. And the name of the book that they should be buying here? The Conscious Sale, The Power of State, Intention and Belief, A Guide to Sales Success. Nice. And it's available on Amazon. Okay. And then uh, reach out to them on LinkedIn. A lot of stuff here. My, my fear is that you're going to take this and blow it off because it might seem a little ooey-gooey or heady. And the reality is, I'll admit it, back in my old days, I used to believe that. And the more I've seen this come to fruition, the more I've experienced this, there's a lot of reality to this. There's a lot of power in what's what's been discussed here today so i'm i'm asking you have an open mind consider it be curious what do you have to lose get after it 
have some fun. Taryn, you're awesome. I really appreciate it. We'll see you. Thanks very much, bro.